the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. What's, what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you, how you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning, and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potato salad. I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. <laughs> I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. <laughs> Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. 
baggy. Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. In my Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised.
compromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to July Oh, super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, contagious, TomSummerProgram.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour has been here before, uh, but we're going to talk about the fifth book, if you can believe it, in a five-book series, the uh, Pandava Quintet. I think I'm saying that right. Um, yes, you are. <laughs> part of, uh, well, it's uh, one of the um, uh, series in the Rick Riordan Presents imprint, and uh, it's written, authored by... Roshni Chakshi, who joins me by phone. Hi, Roshni. Welcome back. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Um, now, I remember talking about you've had success with books a- apart from this series, as mm-hmm. well as the success you're having with this series. And we'll get into the whole Paramount thing a little later. But... <laughs> but I remember when we talked before, you telling me that one of the things that that you um, were really drawn to about this series was the fact that you had been inspired to write these stories based on some of the stories that your family had uh, handed down and and, um, shared with you. Yes. Yeah. Um, I Well, you know, I, I grew up in Atlanta, and I was very, very much exposed to both of my parents' cultural heritages, which is India and the Philippines. And, you know, for, for my family, the way that we had these cultural bridges was through folklore, it was through mythology, and it was through fairy tales. I, you know, and, I have to jump in here for just a minute, Rashni. Yeah. How, how does somebody... You know, you have mixed parents, uh, one from the Philippines and um, one from India. How do you end up in Atlanta? <laughs> you know, I think it was just the luck of the draw. My my dad is a physician, and so it was just, you know, he, he finished his fellowship. He had three young kids by that time. He just went where the job opportunities took him. I don't know why. Maybe maybe that's this is just... Not very woke of me, but, you know, I was thinking New York, New Orleans, San Francisco, you know, and you said Atlanta. And I was like, wait a minute, that, that doesn't quite seem right. I know, it sounds right. strange, but I got to say, Atlanta is such a special city. It is deeply cosmopolitan. Oh, it yeah, has it is like, great. one of the biggest refugee populations. Um, and we were really lucky because my aunt lived there. And so we would have family close by, and that oh, was nice. really special. Yeah, that is nice. That is nice. So, you, so you grow up in Atlanta, 
and mm-hmm. and you're um, hanging with the Southerners, y'all. <laughs> but you're also hearing these stories and and having this influence from other cultures as well. Yeah, all the time. Um, you know, I when I was in school and stuff, I was a huge bookworm, and I loved everything I could get my hands on. But my deep abiding love was for fairy tales and mythology. I loved Egyptian, Norse, Greek, Roman, whatever I could get my hands on. And it was interesting to me because you know, my grandmother would be the one who would tell us all of these stories. And the more that I read, the more I noticed something universal about the stories being told. They had a lot of similarities to share with one another. And yet, for whatever reason, I never saw any stories that played with Filipino folklore and ghost tales, or I never saw anything that had anything to do with the vast and vivid Hindu pantheon that I had been raised with. Um, and so that very much inspired and informed my desire to to draw from that as inspiration for my work. Were the nature of these stories, I, I don't want to call them fairy tales, but were they were they geared toward younger audiences, and did that steer you into writing for young adult readers and, and uh, for children? Oh, gosh, absolutely not at all. <laughs> There's nothing about these stories that seems like they're meant for children. Um, and it's interesting because... Uh, one thing that's really beautiful about Hindu mythology is that it is inextricable from its religion. Um, and m- mm-hmm. both myself and my husband are practicing Hindus. And so there's, there's something about playing with a sacred story and really being, having to be careful because you are actively engaging with a widely practiced religion. And yet, sometimes the way that I look at my stories is as an act of devotion. It is an act of sharing something that I love. But where I draw the boundaries of comfortability or sacrilege is very different from somebody else's, you know, mileage of comfortability. Um, but, you know, when I was growing up, I remember just being so struck by the just casual violence of some of these stories. Um, you may or may <laughs> not be familiar with, are, are you familiar with Ganesh, the elephant-headed um, Hindu deity? Uh, uh- only in art. Yes, I don't, yes only I, in art. I, I don't know any of the backstory at all, but I'm familiar no. with the image. Yes, uh, many people are familiar with the image. It's one of like the the most commonly seen deities for like the Western perspective, right? And I think that a large part of that is because this is the only deity with the head of an elephant, and it seems it strikes us as almost surreal. And when I was a kid, that's how I felt, too. I, I remember asking my grandmother, why does he have the head of an elephant? And the story that she told me when I was six years old has never, ever left my brain. And I will uh. recap it for you very briefly. Uh, but basically, there's this mother goddess and father goddess, Shiva and Parvati. And one day, Shiva decides to go into the forest, and Parvati is left alone. And so to protect her, she builds a child out of sandalwood paste. And she tells the child, do not let anybody come into the house. And he says, absolutely, you got it, Mom. And then lo and behold, who should come home but his father, Sheep, who has never recognized this child in his life. And out of anger at being defied from entering his own home by this kid, he chops off his head. And I'm sure he is then just given a severe dressing down by his, by his wife, this goddess, who is like, you just decapitated our child. And so he goes into the forest, and the first thing that he sees is an elephant. He takes its head, 
puts it back on the child's body, and this is how you have a god of new beginnings. More with author Roshni Chakshi, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with author Roshni Chakshi, straight ahead. That goes way beyond the Frankenstein story. It does, right? There's something, it's, um, it's surreal, it's violent, and it's very, it's casual and it's beautiful, too. There's something... I think what we, why we always return to mythology and fairy tales is in often case it's randomness. We find something very comforting in its randomness and its irrationality to our senses. And I think that's what things that are divine, that's how they feel. Um, you know, my mom is Catholic, and I remember I, I really enjoyed reading the Bible with her. And the, the ideological story that I found the most fascinating was the Tower of Babel, which appears in Genesis, this idea that languages were introduced to us because mankind got too curious, tried to build a tower that got too close to God. He said, get out of his home, introduced a confusion of languages. That's why we have babbling and scattered those bricks. That's a story, too, and it is also divine. You can be both. But what drew you to the audience that you write for, and how much do you have to... uh, Oh, taper the the stories. Um, well, I think I've always just been interested in what I wanted to read as a kid. Um, I think that that's what has drawn me to all of my books. It's just a question or something that interested me that I then wanted to explore or answer for myself. Um, and it's it's interesting because I. There is not a lot about mythology that seems age-appropriate. We consider Greek mythology, which is basically full of non-consensual relationships, and yet kids love reading about it. And um, in the context of the Mahabharata, the ancient Sanskrit epic that I drew on as a source material for Arusha, one thing that was kind of funny to then adapt is the fact that this legendary Pandava brothers, who are, you know, in my story, reincarnated as these girls, in the original myth, they have a common wife. And I was joking with my editor that I didn't realize I would be trying to figure out how to make polyamory accessible to 10-year-olds, but here we are. How did this book series end up getting the uh, Rick Riordan Presents uh, imprint? Oh, it's, it's such a fun adventure. Honestly, I um, I first heard about the Rick Riordan Presents imprint um, back in 2015 or 2016, and I was on a panel with a couple other authors, and one of them mentioned that Rick Riordan was starting his own publishing line and that the idea was to have similar mythological adventures in the same vein as Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, and yet this time drawing from different mythological sources and written by authors of that cultural background. And it just seemed like the perfect fit from the very beginning. I actually ran home after that panel. I shot off an email to my agent, and I wrote those first 15 pages in a fever dream. I really did. (laughs) Um, I was just so excited. And we sent it off uh, with a hope and a prayer and absolutely zero expectation that Rick would be interested. And then a week later, I had a four-book deal with Disney. Wow. That's that's amazing. How were there stories, uh, books that you read as a child based on 
your heritage is? Um, unfortunately, again, like it's the lack of exposure to that that was very much part of my inspiration. But I do remember really being taken with the work of Lloyd Alexander. Um, one of his wonderful standalones is The Iron Ring, which was one of the first times I ever saw a book play or engage with folklore from the Indian subcontinent. Um, and another series that I just absolutely adored was Libba Bray's The Great and Terrible Beauty, which was the very first time that I saw a young adult um, romantic interest character uh, being portrayed and given to us as an Indian man. And I just thought that that was so exciting. Do you feel, um, I, I don't know, uh, some some pressure or some anxiety uh, anxiety is not the right word but but some special um calling uh, around creating literature for people uh young people of indian descent you know that's always just a wonderful question and i think that you know there is sometimes this concern that the Irish on the End of Time series is only going to be appealing if you are familiar with the source material or if you are of South Asian descent. And yet, I have been proved wrong with every single book that comes out. And I think that it speaks to the desire and curiosity of children to read mythology from every single place in the world, to have a deep, abiding sense of curiosity, no matter where it's from, and to be able to take a lot of enjoyment and a lot of relatability to it and humor from it as well. But I, I don't necessarily consider it a calling. I just think of it as, um, I, I think as with any artist, we create the things that we wish we see, that we want to see. And yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what I was trying to say. I, I didn't ask mm -hmm. it very well, Roshni, <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing was is when you talked about the literature that was available when you were young, mm -hmm. it was kind of sparse. And, and I just wonder if, if, um, if you feel like you're, you're changing that landscape a little bit. I, I certainly hope so, but, you know, the strange thing about art is that the minute I'm done creating a book, it, do, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to my readers. Um, and I often think about how F. Scott Fitzgerald died, uh, you know, the author of The Great Gatsby. He approached the end of his life absolutely broke with a negative royalty statement and no interest in his work until 50 years later there was a revived interest in The Lost Generation. And now Great Gatsby is taught everywhere in school. Um, and so there's this idea that we can't control the reception of our work. We have no idea whether or not a story is going to be as immortal or as loved as we may hope. All we can do is put it out there and know that it delighted us in the moment of time in which it was written. Yeah, I, there's there's a story about um, about Charles Dickens writing a Christmas mm -hmm. carol as mm -hmm. basically a fundraiser. Yep, absolutely. And we we forget that as time goes on, we just consider them raging, roaring successes, and yet at the <laughs> time at which they were written, I mean, it it just it just drained your soul. You had no idea whether anyone was going to like what you did. The only thing that mattered was that you liked it. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a mantra that I take very seriously with my work. Well, it, and, and I didn't want to give the impression that your work was specifically designed for young children of Indian heritage. But Oh, no, no, don't worry. I know what you meant. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, 
I, I'm just trying to celebrate the fact that they see people who look like them in stories. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that is, it's the most humbling thing to receive messages from readers around the country um, and pictures from their parents when they show me that they've dressed up as the characters from the Bond of a Quintet. Uh, there's so much joy. Um, there's so much joy in being able to share that or knowing that there's a kid somewhere who's opened up this book and who sees their name and thinks, this story is for me. And I hope that that is how they always feel. Well, now that the um, that the Pandava, am I saying that right? Quintet. Pandava, yeah. P- Pandava. Uh huh. It's a five book series, and it it wraps up with this uh, with this final Arusha and the Nectar of Immortality. That's the fifth and final book. But I always wonder if writers get to the end of a book or the end of a series and think to themselves, but wait, there's more. Oh, gosh. I mean, always, right? You know, on some level, there's something deeply cathartic about being at the end of a series. I am sad to let it go, and I'm also relieved to be done with it. But I I think that it's time for me to give Aru a break. I don't think I've fully shut the door on that world. I wrote myself a window in the last book. But as of right now, there's nothing I have to say. But does that mean that there's... um there's there's now a void into which a a new series might arrive with a whole new batch of characters. Oh, absolutely! Uh, there are always ideas knocking at the door <laughs> of my skull, you know that sort of thing. But you know, I wrote two series simultaneously for the past like five years, and I find that currently I only have room in my head for standalones and singular stories. I'm very, very interested in that at the moment. And um, of late, I've been turning my attention towards my mother's heritage and really exploring the history of the Philippines, the folklore, the ghost stories, the monsters of that region, and finding a lot of inspiration there and what I hope will be a new story. Now, that's twice you've associated ghost stories with with Filipino stories. Yes. Um, is, Is that much more present in in their literature than say for example the the writing and the storytelling in your indian heritage yes i you know i love that question because it really speaks to colonialism actually um when the british raj uh colonized india a lot of the religion was still allowed to be practiced. A lot of these ancient Sanskrit texts were then translated. And yet, by contrast, when the Spain colonized and conquered the Philippines and ruled over it for about 400 years, they essentially squashed a lot of these indigenous religions. Um, they persecuted Babylons, who were these shamanistic healers of that time. There was a lot that was lost because of colonialism from Spain. Um, That's why normally when you meet a Filipino person, all of our last names are Spanish-sounding. And so there's a huge difference in treatment when it comes to religion and essentially the stories that were able to survive to modern times. Um, And I think, honestly, that's why we have a lot more ghost stories and we have a lot more monsters in the Philippines. And that just struck me as, as interesting because you... You know, both times you mentioned Philippine stories and and mm-hmm. myths, you mentioned ghosts. 
without oh, the, always. without the conversa- conversation even going in that direction, and, and it just <laughs> it, it, it it just all of a sudden hit me. It's like, wow, their stories must be all about ghosts. <laughs> There's a lot of them. There's a lot of pain in those stories. A lot of basically just trauma that needs to be exercised. And I I always find that very interesting because. Uh, a lot about a, a ghost is basically just restlessness. It's, it's someone who, whose ability to have their story be shared has been taken away from them. And I can't think of any better example of that than, like, the, the history of colonization of these countries. Now, does that mean that, uh, that the next wave of uh, Roshni Chakshi writings will be... Um, eerie or scary in some way? You know, I, I think that all of my stuff has always been a bit eerie and a little spooky. So I do think that, yes, there's, there's a dark pivot coming. But <laughs> as with anything, a change is the only constant, so I can't wait to see what comes next. Um, when you're putting together these stories, like, for example, the Pandava Quintet, and mm-hmm. and the five books in that series, how much of it is based on stories you've been told and how much of it has been based on stories that you're telling? Um, you know, a lot of it is very much inspired, of course, by the stories I was told. But then a great deal of it does also come from the research that I've done and the things that have that now interest me as an adult. Um, for example, in The Nectar of Immortality, Aru and the characters are introduced to these women who are called Vishakanyas. And a Vishakanya is essentially a poison maiden. And uh, has, in the folklore tradition, they were these women who were taken at a very young age from their parents, and they were fed a steady diet of poisons, and they ate so many poisons that their very touch became toxic. And they were sent out essentially as these assassin courtesans to the courts of neighboring enemy kingdoms. And on the one hand, like, that's a very sensual, dangerous idea. And on the other hand, uh, it made me very curious about what the perspective of one of these poisonous courtesans would be like. Is this what they wanted to be. Um, what does it mean when being a woman means being a weapon? Uh, those are the kinds of questions that I didn't hear growing up, but that I started asking myself as I continued to write the series. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, Paramount has optioned the books for a movie, and that's this um, Pandava Quintet. Um, mm-hmm. What do we know so far about that? Are, are they just keeping somebody else from getting it, or is there a production <laughs> in the works? Well, um, as with all things in Hollywood, my answer <laughs> for that is I just don't know. Hollywood is smoke and mirrors and shiny things. Every now and then I'll get a very particularly enticing or exciting email, and then it will fade into the silence once more. So I don't know. But my dearest hope is that because the Irish on the End of Time series is wrapping up and kids now have the opportunity to binge it in a single weekend, that maybe this will be the moment when, uh, the, you know, it pushes the needle for Hollywood's direction. You know, it, it can change things. We shall see. You know, I want to mention the, um, the book Jacket. 
for yeah. Arusha and and the others as well. Um, who does that artwork? It's it's amazing. The artwork is phenomenal. We are very, very lucky to work with the illustrator, Abigail De La Cruz, um, and she has done all the artwork for the series. Um, and we have also really benefited from the creative art directorship of Joanna Hill over at Disney. She is the creative art director. She's the person who really has brought to life a lot of the vividness of the series. So I've been so, so fortunate to have those covers. They are just the absolute best. Well, I'm looking at the uh, at the dust jacket for... Um Arushai and the Nectar of Immortality, the fifth and final book in the uh, mm-hmm. Pandava Quintet. Um, and I can't wait to see the movie. Ah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I mean, I think that you're really speaking to our dearest hope, which is that the stories are cinematic, the artwork is cinematic. It just will take one extra step to hopefully see Arusha have a brand new life in a brand new medium. Well, I'm just telling you, it... It jumps off the page. It, it, you know, I can't wait to see these people start moving and talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I suspect that's that's the same for you. Working with um, Disney, it that must be on everybody's mind all the time. Oh yeah, it, it has been a extraordinary privilege, especially because. Irishan, The End of Time, is the inaugural title for the Rick Riordan Presents imprint, and it's just been a real joy. I have loved all the other series and books that have come out of that imprint. Um, A lot of the authors were all really good friends. We talk all the time, and there's just a deep sense of love and joy in being able to share these stories with um, with younger readers and essentially just uh, imagine that we're being able to give them to younger versions of ourselves. especially because we we all feel as though that's what we wanted when we were that age. You know, I haven't really even thought about this until, um, you know, I get somebody like you that's in the Rick Riordan imprint um, grouping. Um, is, Is Rick writing at all, or is he just spending all his time finding this great, diverse talent and and collection of stories to be told? I think that Rick has been very, very busy of late. Um, you know, he's, I'm pretty sure he's in Vancouver where they will be filming the Disney Plus series for Percy Jackson, which is being adapted for, for Disney Plus. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, he's been really, really busy focusing his attentions, I think, on the adaptation side and really bringing his, his work and championing it and all that kind of stuff, and we just couldn't be happier for him. I wish I knew what he was writing next, and hopefully I'll get to read it. But I did get to read his newest one, which was Daughter of the Deep, um, which is a reimagining of Jules Verne's A Thousand Leagues or Ten Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and it's an absolute delight. What's next for, uh, for Rashni? What's next for me? I think, you know, like as I said, I feel like I'm turning my attention to other parts of my heritage and really wanting to explore that. I find myself of late drawn to ghost stories, as you can tell, mostly because I want to know why they're so restless to begin with. And there's a couple other things. Uh, I've deeply loved writing young adult literature and middle grade literature, um, and I've been also toying with the adult space as well. So. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm really excited to see what happens. Well, Rashni, I, I 
I wonder what's up next for you because, you know, I know it takes a long time for a book once, even once the manuscript is done, uh, mm-hmm. for it to actually go through editing and the artwork and publishing and promotion and all that. And very often when I talk to writers, especially successful writers like you, there's another book that's almost finished. Mm-hmm. There is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as much as you're going to say, isn't it? I will tell you that it's going to be announced next week, and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sharp turn. But I'm very excited for people to read it. Well, I can't I can't wait to hear about it. And thank and you thank so you. much. Um, thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners. And as you uh, may remember, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Roshni, do you have a website that you can share? Yes, uh, it's just www.roshnichakshi.com. That's R-O-S-H-A-N-I-C-H-O-K-S-H-I. And you can also find more about what I'm doing day to day. Oftentimes it just means harassing my cat and putting him on Instagram. But you can find me there at Roshni Chakshi. As creative as you are and you're doing cat videos on Instagram... (laughs) <laughs> my cat's very funny, I think. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I, I'm, it's just everybody does cat stuff. Not everybody writes these great books. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Anyway, Roshni, thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was uh, Roshni Chakshi, and... Um, She's just completed the fifth in a five-book series, the Pandava Quintet, if you will. The final, uh, the final copy is out now under the Rick Riordan Presents imprint. It's Aru Shah and the Nectar of Immortality. Roshni is uh, um, the author of uh, several books besides those five and uh, you can find more about her at uh, com. we're going to take a short break but we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight <laughs>
It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music, Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community School, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Long Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. 
and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Beauty. 
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to thank you all for tuning in and I want to thank all of our guests from today's show including this uh, last hour that we spent with Roshni Chakshi, author of the uh, Pandava Quintet, a five book series and part of the Rick Riordan Presents publishing imprint. Always a treat. Um, her most recent book, Arusha, and the Nectar of Immortality. Before that, in the middle of our three-hour tour, we talked about the uh, New York Sun, America's historic newspaper, recently relaunched as an online daily with national and international coverage. And we spoke with the um, publisher and chairman of the historic New York Sun newspaper, Dovid Ifun was uh, my guest during the second hour of our three-hour tour. And we started out this morning with Bible scholar and veteran Christian author David Heron talking about his book, What the Bible Has to Say About the USA. The Old Testament Speaks to Americans Today. And um, 
aside from the fact, it was an interesting conversation, aside from the fact that the title of the book sounds like something uh, Dr. Seuss might have written. Um, coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to have economist Chris Douglas. It is, uh, he's from the University of Michigan Flint, and he joins us on the first Wednesday of every month. And, of course, because it's Wednesday, that means that uh, we're in for armchair politics. East, Valley, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth Nelson will be joining our roundtable regulars. Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. And I hope you will join us too. In the meantime, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.